Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about creativity, curiosity, and problem solving. Today, I'm talking to uh, Instagram and TikTok sensation Grant Alexander. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. All right, so usually I like to get started and try to find out about your maker history and mm-hmm. where you got started being creative. Uh, so, can you remember your earliest creative memory? <laughs> Yeah, I, so I have, like, I can remember being, like, I can remember my third birthday. That's my earliest birthday, wow. like, memory. Um, and uh, But that's not when I was being particularly creative. Uh, but I do remember, like, if I ever had a broken, like, video game, like, the old, like, two-button video games that were, like, a, just a, a single panel and, like, five different pixels would light up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would take those apart, and in my mind, I was like, "I'm going to take the, enough of these apart and make a robot." And I, I had no clue how I was going to do it. All I knew is if I got enough parts, right, I could take it apart, and then I could make a robot. Uh, I never made a robot. Oh, I had man. a lot of broken games, though, that <laughs> just you know, with circuit boards that didn't do anything a robot needed them to do. <laughs> That's interesting. And you didn't try to turn them into like a a sculpture that looked like a robot? No, because that wouldn't be enough for me. Because okay. I could just go out and like get a sculpture a robot sculpture from the model. Like store a model kit, build. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and so what do you remember like what kind of inspired that? Like, was there anyone around you who like would take things apart and fix them? Well, my dad uh, definitely would like be constantly working on the house and, uh, you know, making stuff. And he had, uh, you know, like a table. He had a shopsmith, so he had five and one tools. Uh, but and I remember as a kid, he would he made me a couple different wooden toys. Um, I definitely like my mother was the first woman in all of Ontario to take wood shop instead of home ec. Um, she got a little article in the newspaper about that, so. Kind of had this like making things gene, I guess you could say, yeah. and, or or maybe it was just against authority gene. I don't know exactly which one my mother really was <laughs> was doing, but uh, a little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. So that was uh, definitely had like that inspiration. And my my grandfather did a lot of making, and my grandmother uh, she did a lot of sewing and stuff. And they would like recover chairs and stuff together and. A lot of fun. So I definitely had a lot of influence on me to be creative in that way. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I try and knowing that I was coming on the podcast, I tried to think <laughs> about this. And all I could remember is like that robot. And I. so what inspired me to try and make the robot is my brother had that robot arm from Radio Shack. Yeah. That like picked up a single like thing. And that's all it was. It's like. Mm-hmm. Every arm, robot arm that you see today, it looks exactly like this 1980s Radio Shack toy. Yeah. Uh, and I, for some reason, he, he had it. I wanted it. And I thought if I broke enough video games, I could, I can make one of my own. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I was pretty young. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, did you have any explorations after that? I mean, did you, did you ever get to, you know, work in the wood shop, you know, even with like scraps and stuff and just a hammer or anything. So I remember my dad and I still have the little toolkit my dad made me and he would give me like some scrap wood and try and put stuff together. But I didn't really have like, I feel like if I don't know how to do something and I haven't got the slightest idea, I sometimes feel like overwhelmed and I just Mm kind of bash nails into wood and I've got nothing. But I do remember in grade six, we had a teacher who he was like the an old old school style teacher who wanted kids to learn how to work with wood. So even though it was grade six and even grade seven and eight didn't have this, just this grade six teacher had a wood shop in his class. So he had it set up with scrap wood, saws and stuff and chisels and, and knives and you know, every, every day we would have, not every once a week, we would have a, a shop time that we could mm-hmm. go and make stuff out of wood. And I remember like hand carving out uh, like a dugout canoe, basically, but like a toy. Um, and I got right to the end and I remember like 
because it was like end grain. I popped out the end and I was like so upset with myself. Oh no. But yeah. I showed it to my dad and he and all I used was like a, a knife, like a regular knife to like dig out this thing. It was a lot of work. And right at the end to screw it up. But uh at the end my dad was like he got me some wood putty and put it in there to like seal that hole. And uh and I you know, you know how wood putty doesn't quite actually look like wood. But that's what I re- that's that's one of my first projects I remember. I also made like a pencil crossbow, which was fun and totally, totally not legal, but totally like, not frowned legal. <laughs> upon. Like we weren't supposed to be doing it. But. Yeah. In in the classroom. Yeah. 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 They probably, yeah, they probably wanted to avoid that, you know, um, yeah. getting out. Then, of- yeah. Unfortunately, that teacher got sick and about halfway through and uh, the substitute teachers didn't feel comfortable with doing it in the shop so that was like the end of it um he ended up coming back right at the end but uh he got cancer and whatever uh it was so that was like the last of until high school the last of my like making and i don't know why it didn't like continue at home as much but i think my dad was more into like fixing cars and motorcycles and stuff like that mm-hmm. which is a little bit like having done it, it's a little less creative because right. like you take a car apart, you put it back together the way you took it apart. Right. Most yeah, of I mean, the time. Yeah. The, yeah. It's, a, it's almost like a different hobby, right? If you're doing like, you know, custom body work or something like that, it's right. a different, that's a different set of skills. But yeah, a lot of people, you know, I learned how to do auto mechanics just out of necessity. If I wanted my car to work, mm-hmm. um, so I learned a lot of basic stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it gets you like familiar with like just the concept of using tools to, you know, change the world around you and, you know, fix things. Um, but yeah, it's not, again, it's not, it's not necessarily creative now, but it is, no. does get you familiar with, you know, how tools work, you know. And you can use those skills and transfer them into creative stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely do creative stuff with cars. Like if you look at Chris Powell. Like the the wooden car he's building, and he's gotten like he's casting gas caps out of metal, and like he's do, doing creative stuff for sure. Right. I just wasn't. I never got that way. We, we just were too busy working on maintenance and making the cars run, yeah. like swapping engines from crashed cars into non-crashed cars, so we could combine the two into a single car that would eventually just rust out anyways. Right. And you didn't have, you weren't into like, you know, like redoing the bodywork or anything. You're just like, well, it's going to rust. So, yeah. Yeah. And at, at, yeah, at that time, like, you know, again, like the older cars, I mean, all the cars I had when I was younger, like, you know, they were a few years old and they were already rusty, you know. And, uh, you know, now my car, my main car is like, you know, what, I don't know, 13 years old or something. And it's, um, it doesn't have any rust on it. <laughs> you oh, know, lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, in the Northeast. So definitely have yeah. plenty of salt and, you know, a potential for rust around here. Yeah. Yeah. They've definitely, well, like, there's cars that have gotten good and there's cars that have gotten worse. I, I think, like, if you look at a couple of, like, some Mazdas, I don't know. If, like, I remember seeing, like, Mazda 3s, the early ones, like, two years after. They ended up getting actually recalled because of it, not a rust. But, all right. Yeah. I haven't examined every car on the road, but uh, yeah. just overall, I think cars are, you know, a little bit more rust uh, resistant than in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Definitely. Yeah. I went to go back to school because I know you love going down like, does your school have a shop class and or did it? Uh, I don't know if it does today, but back when I was a kid, I took wood shop. Uh, I took actually like a couple different things that would be more down a creative uh, line, but we can start with wood shop. And, uh, and I, if you look on my Instagram recently, one of my latest posts, I actually posted the, the project we did in that class, which was an Adirondack chair. Right. And the interesting part about it is that instead of the teacher giving us the plans and we just made the chair, he gave us a picture of it and said, come up with dimensions that work for you. So pretend you're sitting, measure how high, what your back angle is and all that stuff to try and come up with the chair, um, which was great for problem solving, horrible right. for designing chairs for your first time. Right. Your first chair is not going to be the best chair. <laughs> it was literally unsittable. Like Okay. Like the the height was wrong, the seat length was too 
it was too wide so the like the The arms arms. just kind of didn't feel like in the right spot and then the seat was like you you felt like an acute triangle which sitting in a muskoka chair you want to be like leaned back right yeah so but i i learned a lot doing that for sure but uh yeah we Mm -hmm. we did from what i remember we we planed the wood I don't think we used a jointer. I think we just used a planer. There was a giant planer, like a 20-inch planer. And I just remember like sending wood through there, and it was like ferociously screaming. Yeah. Um, I, I, I swear we used a table saw, but we might have just used a, a radial arm saw or, or a miter saw. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That class, is the, that class is a blur to me for some reason. Yeah, I don't think I remember everything about my shop class. I just remember like, you know, just little moments and like, you know, specifics about certain projects. But yeah, yeah. and we did it in middle school. We didn't really do anything that was up to the level of creating furniture or anything. So it's kind of disappointing, but yeah. Well, now you can. Now you can create all the furniture you want. And now you don't because you don't have any time. <laughs> That's correct. Hey, you're pretty good at this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know the feeling. Even yeah. though I have made three Adirondack chairs and I need to make one more, uh, another mini one. Oh, yeah. For your fire, like around in your backyard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've gotten, I made two like full size ones and then one uh, three quarter size. Right. That was a lot of fun. That's cool. The, it, the interesting part about that is taking plans and trying to make them work on a smaller size. Yeah. So like. It just was an interesting thing because you can't just take all the dimensions and three quarters of them. No, oh, yeah. Unless you take the wood and, and plane it down, and then you kind of got like thin wood, and it's right. Yeah, you then the wood's too thin. Yeah, because the wood thickness is probably just about the same. You're not going to make it that much thinner. Yeah, you know? right. Then you might have like screws coming out the sides because it's not quite thick enough. <laughs> Anyways, it was a huh. fun experiment in problem solving. That's cool. All right. And did you take any kind of art classes or anything, or did you mostly stick to Woodshop? Well, so this is the the interesting part about my school is we actually had a, so I did take art uh, because you had to, and you you could pick like art or drama or whatever. And I picked mm-hmm. uh, like I did visual arts and did painting. Um, but the interesting part about our school is we also had a technology class and we had an electronics class. Okay. So in the technology class, it was like an intro to technology, but you did like take build a mousetrap car. Uh, we did like, uh, we did some vacuum forming. Mm-hmm. We did some fun, like different uh, technology things. And in that class, because I was big into RC racing at the time, and in the early late nineties, the uh, battery technology was so poor that if you were racing a car, five minute races were hard to do. Yeah, you you would have to conserve your battery. Mm-hmm. Now, like five minutes is nothing. But back then, five minutes was everything. And I came up with a regenerative braking because the braking would uh, create heat. They would just go into a, a resistor with some of the speed controls. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, why don't, instead of going into a resistor, why don't we put that into a storage device, like, like a capacitor, mm-hmm. and then you can use it for getting out of the corner and accelerating faster. And I came up with this in grade nine and did nothing with it other than right. in my head. I, okay, so you didn't actually create the circuit? I'd never created the circuit because uh, battery technology in the next year changed. And oh, no. <laughs> we went from NICAD to nickel metal hydrate, and it, it was no longer a problem. For my my issue was a five-minute race. Five-minute race no longer was a problem. So I said, well, I never had to deal, deal with it again. But I just remember going like, like, I think about it now. I think back and I go, that could have been something. Because that's what they do now. Yeah, yeah. Electric cars, exactly what they use. All right. So. I'm sure that technology would already been patented. I just. No, but still, it's interesting to think if you had gone down that road and to, you know, actually build it and see, you know, if it could work and go through the process of, you know, um, you know, testing it. And... Yeah. So. Well, so then that kind of brings us into like the next year, we also did electronics class uh, where we actually used like the breadboards and pop in resistors and in building circuits and learning mm-hmm. about ands and ors and xors and all that yeah. fun stuff and uh 
one of the the people I worked with actually ended up building a robot to call back to earlier and uh, <laughs> nice. went to like compete in like a robot building competition, which was pretty cool. Um, oh, by that time, cool. I I'd gotten more into cars and robots weren't my thing. But I uh, I definitely like learned a lot there. I really wish I'd paid more attention. I remember like I got really good grades at the time, but I feel like I've lost so much of what that was. And what right. I could have learned from all those circuits, because I think building stuff with circuits is a lot of fun. Sure. And could be really rewarding today. Um, but I, I don't know. I've, I've lost almost the fact that I can say like different types of circuits uh, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's as far as I got. Right. That's fine. Yeah. I've been watching, I watched like all the electro boom videos like in the last weeks and stuff. Um, and yeah, because I tried to learn electronics back, you know, whenever, whenever I was in, you know, middle school or high school. And I never, never, I thought probably didn't have anything to do with it. I just was like, like learning about components and stuff. And I never really got very far with it. And then, you know, and then I was like, well, I didn't, it didn't, be, I didn't find it useful. So I never looked right. into it. So, but I know his videos like actually are, you know, he teaches you like a lot of different, you know, simple circuits and stuff. And it's, it's interesting, but yeah, unless you have a project. Um, to do with it, it's hard to <laughs> to study it. Yeah, so I in, in that class they had like a, a a guy come in from a technology uh, institute, like these accelerated colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have them in the states, but here we have them where they're like get your two year or three year diploma in you know a year instead. By I don't know they anyways. They came and talked and I was like super excited. I was like, you know, they, they talk about all these benefits, get into the workforce faster, make more mm-hmm. money, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, oh, I can just spend less time in school. That sounds wonderful to me. Right. <laughs> and uh, I after the class, I, I went to talk to the teacher and he said, like, he was saying it nice and meaning it well, but he was like, no, I think you should go to university. This right. That presentation wasn't for you. Right. <laughs> I always look back at that and I go. So my brother did that. That's what he did after school and entered the workforce and for a while installed security alarms and then went on to work nuclear power. That's what he does now. Mm-hmm. And and I look at his salary and I look at my salary and I go, no, I think that could have been for me and could have led to even higher possibilities. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. ended up going to university for computer engineering, but... Uh, it wasn't my passion and I, my grades right. also reflected it not being something I should continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. What did, um, what kind of stuff were you doing with computer engineering? Was it like mostly theoretical stuff? Uh, so it was like, so the computer engineering I was doing is computer systems engineering. And I was basically, uh, the, co- like the combination of computer programming, which I enjoyed in high school, but I, I later hated because, in computer engineering, you're like doing assembly language. You're like writing a code, pressing mm-hmm. a button, and if it doesn't crash, that means you've potentially you did it. There's like yeah. no output to it, mm-hmm. so it didn't feel like. And I get like you're starting out, but it was just it felt like yeah. I wasn't doing. I went from like computer uh, programming in high school was mm-hmm. uh, building video games for right. fun to like doing assembly language, which was boring and dry. Um, and then the other half was like electrical engineering mm-hmm. um and then so it was like the combination of those two things and right. uh i lasted two years and i just remember doing a lot of math a lot of right. calculus and algebra yeah that's why i didn't go back to school for any, like computer science or anything because i'm like well i'm already doing this stuff like yeah <laughs> i already figured out how to i've learned how to program just by you know through you know whatever resources books and online and all these different things and just you know self-taught and it's like mm-hmm. well do i need to go back to school like if people are already giving me money um so <laughs> so yeah i've avoided it and, and now it's probably would be really silly to go back to school <laughs> yeah at like, this point it i think when it comes to certain stuff like the the education requirements for certain jobs i don't understand why they put them at the levels they put them like you need a degree to become a programmer. No, you don't. 
every nope. every good programmer I know who like would like went circles around everyone else mm-hmm. did it without the degree. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. the the degree was a meaningless either they never even bothered to get it or they got it, but it was only because they got told that's the way to get ahead. But they were already running circles around everyone. Like there's so many things like a doctor. I think a doctor needs a standard education. So we know what's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't think that like a human resources professional needs a, you know, a a particular education. Right. Right. That's, that's that's an interesting concept. There's, that's one that's kind of related to some of the stuff that I do for my day job, which is like safety. So I've learned a lot of safety stuff without getting a degree, but because there's so many like rules and regulations and very specific requirements, you do need some sort of, you know, background that's specific to that. But yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. A human resources degree, you need, you know, knowledge to be able to understand and, you know, find that information when it's required. I think the big thing is you have to separate between what, what would you learn on the job? Mm-hmm. And what do you need to know to enter the job? And a lot that, of people like, it, like when you look at like OSHA stuff, mm-hmm. occupational, I took a class in that when I went to school for later human resources. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>, okay. <laughs> that's where I get my little, but I remember taking this class and going like, well, if I go to a place and they don't have this stuff and they have other stuff, I'm assuming they have a manual. Unless I'm going there to write the manual, which then I'll have to do a bunch of research anyways, and everything I've learned here probably won't translate. And that's the minute I went, this isn't for me. This is not going to be my path because this doesn't, because I, I had to pick a specialization mm-hmm. um, when I was doing it. And, and that was, I kind of went more uh, on the staffing side of things and less on the, that HR side of things. Um Right. But it was definitely like, I, I just go, I don't need to, I need to know how to find information. I don't need to know this information. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah. And there's, I'd say there's a balance of that because you can't know everything, but you do need to understand, yeah, like fundamentals and like you do need to know how to do that type of research. That's pretty much what I do is research things and try to interpret mm-hmm. the regulations and stuff once we find it. Cause you know, you find it and then you're like, okay, now how does this apply to a specific situation? Definitely, but I I don't think an education in in OSHA, like the you know a one year right. course in OSHA, mm-hmm. it's going to do that for you. No, right? You you need to have those skills, and you need to learn the information, right? But if you don't have those skills, it doesn't matter how many like yeah how much education you have. You need to have this right. problem solving and like you know research and interpretive skills to like synthesize all these confusing information into something that you can, you know, use in the real world. Exactly. And yeah, I don't know. That's my current job as an investigator. So that's what I do is I take all of the work, all this information. And I, I I have to like put it all together in one spot to kind of fit what, what, what matters here. Right. Right. And that is like one of the hardest things I think. And that's with a lot of anything you're doing in the shop, anything you're making, it comes down to you have all the information you've ever learned at your fingertips. Right. Hopefully, unless you have memory problems. Uh, you know, and and you're and you're using it to make the project the best way possible. And I think a lot of like I recently got into a little bit of machining and mm-hmm. every time I come across a, an issue and I'm like, "Oh, I don't know how to hold down this workpiece." And I start talking with Austin from the High Caliber Craftsman. And I just say, I'm just casually mentioning my my problem. He's like, oh, I would have just done this. And I go, oh, my God. I, why didn't I ask you that, like, in hour one instead of hour six? Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. He was like, just turn your vice sideways. And I was like, ah. Oh, yep. That's so smart. Yeah. Well, the thing is, next time, you probably will. He'll have that information. You have to make all these mistakes, and you have to experiment and yeah, again, you have to rely on, you know, a mentor or somebody who can help answer some of these questions every once in a while. And you'll never forget that, though. But I, I did the thing. I just didn't do the thing the easiest, fastest, 
best way, Mm -hmm. which is also learning in itself. I actually think I learned a lot more doing it the wrong way and then having at the end someone say, hey, you could have just done this. Right. But now you know exactly why that was better. (laughs) Right. But I will say to, to, to couch any responses here, I need it from someone I trust and not a random comment on the internet. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I don't. All the comments I get of why didn't you just do this? I just want to punch that person in the face. Yeah. I don't want to listen to them. But if some if somebody I know says it to me because I've asked for their advice, I listen. Right. Well, sure. How do you? <laughs> we can kind of can go into this because I always yeah. this is another thing I'm I'm always curious about is so you did start making stuff again, right? Um, as you became an right. adult, you now you have a wood shop. You started built. You're building your metal shop. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with more sophisticated tools. Um, how did that uh, happen? Like, what gave you the, you know, desire to start building things or buying your own tools? Okay, so the we'll we'll go a little bit to the tools first. Um, I, I also work on a race team, and mm-hmm. uh, so I had a lot of mechanics tools. And mechanics tools sure. are great for certain things. They're not great for always building things, right? They're like assembly tools. They're not mm-hmm. like if I need IKEA, I have every tool possible that you could right. ever want to do IKEA. Then I started doing some home renovations once I got my first house. Home renovations lead to like drills and sawzalls, right? Like, yep. Great. And you can build furniture. I've seen people build wonderful things with just a drill and a saw, right? But for sure. Uh what ended up happening is to get more into the baking side of things is my grandfather passed away and I got his table saw. Uh, it's a craftsman 113. You know, one of the, everyone has it table saws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone of the grandpa had one. Uh, <laughs> and yep. uh, so I got that, like inherited that. And uh, when I was, for some reason, just after I got it, I was up in my garage attic uh, I think I was like getting the, that's where I store my winter tires. And I noticed I had all these uh, planks of, of just rough. It was kind of rough. Uh, well, like one by six pine. And I had a table saw and I had all these pieces and I went, well, what can I make with this? And that's where I made my first, Adir- well, my second Adirondack chair. First one that you could actually sit in. Right. But I went and found some plans online and I went and, followed these plans from a 1980s like popular woodworking or popular mechanics or something like that magazine I found online uh, and it ended up making a nice little thing and then I was like oh I, I've won I need to make two yeah. and uh, then I ran out of wood and then I went to Home Depot and I found out that you know well, pine was never like the right thing to build these out <laughs> of but no not for sure but pine's fine as long as you keep it treated right yeah. That's the problem with pine is you really got to like stay on top of painting or or uh, or treating it. And I, I wanted to paint it, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, well, maybe I should make a cedar one. And then I left the price, of, the price difference and I went, no, I should just continue making pine ones. Continue making pine, sure. <laughs> right. And then uh, after that, I was like, oh, what, else, what other things can I make with my table saw? And then I, you know, of course, made a couple cutting boards. Went to uh, my local hardwood place, uh, KJP Select Hardwoods, and they uh, went chatted with one of the employees there, uh, Derek, and he, you know, helped me understand board feet and stuff like that. And then I started finding, I'd already seen a lot of YouTube channels, but I started finding more YouTube channels uh, that were more maker related. Like mm-hmm. I remember looking at Matthias Wandel videos well before uh, even thinking about doing YouTube as a thing, right? Right. But he, I, I remember like watching, like he was telling why drywall screws are superior. Like I remember that's like one video that popped up somehow and I watched it probably somewhere. Someone shared it on Facebook or something. Okay. But I, I just remember seeing that and then, I don't know. So this is around 20... 2018, 2017, something like that. And then I started making and from there re- reignited something I had done so long ago, but I didn't even realize uh, I needed to do. Sure. 
yeah, I think a lot of people just end up yeah, buying some tools because they have a house and they're like, well, you got to have tools. You got to fix something. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's, um, you know, and again, a lot of people want to do renovations and, you know, once you have a couple of those tools and you're like, well, these, you can get extremely cheap tools. You can get just like a, you know, circular saw and a drill and you can do a lot of stuff, but then you're like, well, there's better <laughs> tools for this. So then you start accumulating more things. Right. And yeah. And it's just, I guess, yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, like your experience with YouTube just happened to coincide, you know, coincidentally with the more and more people posting projects on YouTube. So it's kind of like inevitable. Yeah. And so the other person that I kind of saw was uh, my self-reliance. Uh, he was a guy building in uh, Northern Ontario. He was building like a cabin in the woods. Cool. And I've always kind of wanted like, you know, cabin in the woods sounds like a lot of fun. And I thought like, I'll start a YouTube channel where I'm like kind of more bushcrafty. Um, but I don't, I ended up not doing that because uh, that required me like going to a location to film. Right. Which yeah, makes, you can do in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot. Well, you can't do a little bit, but you can't do a lot in your backyard. Uh, right. They'll find you out really quick when mm-hmm. that you're actually in your backyard, not some random wilderness. Actually place. in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up just making uh, projects, you know, doing fun stuff like that. Okay. I don't know where I was, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I'm, I, I'm curious. I'm curious how you, so you, you know, you, you see people making projects on YouTube and, you know, that either inspires you or you learn some, maybe you learn some stuff from them. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of both. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then did you, um, what made you, like, again, you said, like you decided to, or you thought of an idea for a YouTube channel. What made you think like, oh, I should make videos. Um, well, so that, yeah. it, it was a little bit like my wife was, uh, we were, my wife. Uh, was pregnant and was uh, she was going to be off work, which meant uh, less money coming in. At the time, I was just like, if I can just make ten thousand dollars, my wife won't have to go back to work because that's like the the amount of money we needed. Like right. I did all the math mm-hmm. and I was like, just ten thousand dollars a year. How hard can that be? I look yeah. at this Jimmy Dresta guy. I'm like, he's gotten millions of views and he just feeds up his things. I now realize, well, like that wasn't. It's so much more yeah, complex. It's more than complicated. That. <laughs> but I can definitely yeah. see like a beginner not realizing that that's what it looks like. No, he's doing he's doing stuff that you don't even understand how he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But a beginner just looks at it and goes, it's just a bunch of sp- sped up videos, right? Right. But anyway, so I saw that. And I was like, well, how hard can it be? This guy's doing it, right? And yeah. uh, I, uh, just this, this year, we finally cracked the the ten thousand dollar number so it oh. only took four years hey that's actually pretty good i mean you certainly, that's not that bad if you if you look at you know and again you're not doing it full-time obviously you have a full-time job you have family you have kids so right. and I, I look a lot of people who are much more prolific uh in making things being creative and i'm like oh they don't have any kids okay <laughs> you know it's what, like so yeah well that, i definitely see a lot of people who don't have any kids making every day and i just so today i posted a reel and in the background of the reel, I'm in my garage, but in the background of the reel, you can just hear faintly like kids screaming. <laughs> they're like, like not like they're having fun and whatever, but they're yeah. just in the background. I'm like, come on, guys, can I have? I'm just like a thirty seconds of of time of, where you guys aren't screaming in the background, so I can do yeah, something. That's why I put music on the all the reels. I was talking in this one. That's yeah. It was yeah. a very. It was like talking to the camera, and it started out fine, and then it ended with kids screaming. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could. There's a little bit of editing you can do, maybe. But yeah, how much do you want to do for a reel? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually started using. I was downloading all my like videos to like my computer and and editing them in Premiere to make the reels speed them up and everything. And then mm-hmm. I started using um, uh, Adobe Rush on oh, my yeah. phone which is it's free i mean all i do is cut off the ends and speed it up so for that you don't need to you know have a subscription <laughs> or anything um I'll so to check that one out yeah it's um yeah i mean just for doing like simple edits it works really well i like it um saves me a lot of time uh just you know i have such a hard time because i really want to see like every frame i really like to like yeah it does, i don't think you can do that on the phone it's really difficult. Like you got to be like 
oh, really playing with it a lot to try and yeah. find. Because I like to have like the moment, the mm-hmm. whatever, the tool enters the frame. Yep. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the moment I want it. And I want it to be one frame in. Yeah. And so I go on my computer and I find that one frame and that's where it starts. Yep. Because on the phone, I find it's really, really difficult to get things the way I like. Super them. accurate. Yeah. And I don't know. There's different apps, I'm sure. But uh, it's, it's also, you, it can't do it in the, um, like Instagram, the editor's useless. And I don't know if I don't, I don't use anything else. So I don't know if they're better. <laughs> There's times where I use Instagram or, or Facebook or TikTok editing. Um, and I've, I've found no problems. Uh, it all depends on what you're trying to do. I find if I'm trying to make something look really good, it's not enough. Whatever. Sure. It's enough to make something tell a story. Like if you're telling this, like it's all about, are you telling the story or are you trying to make something like polished in like look extra? And that's where you have to decide where are you spending, where are you going to focus your time on? Are you going to focus it on trying to tell the best story or are you going to focus it on trying to make the video look extra? Sure. Or well, both. I'm- uh, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to make spend time making the video look good. So <laughs> I found that over the time. So I'm curious too. like, so you when you were watching people making videos, you thought of that. You're like, OK, these people. You can make money on YouTube, you know, <laughs> so yeah. um, that was your that was your first inspiration, because I remember. When I found all these, you know, different YouTube channels and, you know, there's you know, and then you find there's like Facebook groups, there's a million podcasts, there's now there's a million podcasts, then there was only half a million. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and you can just see, um, you know, the, the community and like all these people, you know, they're, they're friends online and, you know, and they're, you know, they're interacting back and forth and they're, you know, one person's video is, you know, responding to another, what another person did. So you, you know, go through these, you know, you can see like all these different connections and stuff. And so, it felt like, you know, that was an interesting way to participate in this community would be to make your own videos. I didn't, right. know, I'm like, well, maybe I can make, you know, a couple bucks, but I never thought it would be like an actual income, you know, maybe you could like, oh, you could make like, you know, $50 or a couple hundred dollars a month, like making YouTube videos. If you got like, you know, a minimum amount of, you know, people and that's, you know, and obviously as time goes on, you know, it's been like seven or eight years since you start looking at this, <laughs> you know, if you don't work at it, you're not going to be able to keep up with everyone else in the billions of people uh, creating content. Um, but yeah, yeah I, but it definitely was more of a, you know, and again, you know, making videos, you know, seem to be one way to, you know, kind of participate in this, you know, maker community, but obviously Instagram, like was a much, it's so much lower barrier to entry. <laughs> you just have to take a picture of something you're making and then, you know, and that's, you know, so I was curious about that, um, the connection between, you know, making stuff, sharing it online and, you know, finding other people who are doing the same thing and kind of what we're doing here. Right. So that that's actually like an interesting story because when I started, I didn't even think about that. It wasn't on my radar at all to develop a community or anything like that. Now it's like the only reason I do it because I really enjoy the community and sure. like the there's some money coming in, but like the money is no longer the, the motivating factor, but the, uh, so YouTube, you used to be able to direct message people. Right. And you used to be able to do YouTube groups, which were group chats. I don't uh, remember that. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I met my podcast host, uh, or one of my podcast hosts, Adam Mackey was through a, a guy invited everyone to this big group chat. Um, and his thing was like, I found all these cool channels with under a thousand subscribers and we want to have like this, this community to talk about how to make our videos better, how to make like what, what challenges are we facing? What, what fun things are we coming? We can celebrate our successes, all that, uh, sort of stuff. And Adam was one of the people in that, uh, community as, as well as, a whole bunch of Austin was in it from High Caliber Craftsman. Just my DIY was uh, people in there. Okay. We had all these people in that little group chat uh, over time. And uh, and then like literally weeks later after the, we started this big group chat, I don't know if all those people were in it originally, but uh, 
they were in it. And then weeks later, YouTube said, group chats are done. <laughs> oh, no. And DMing is done. And so we started our own little Discord server. And I had no clue what Discord is, but one of the people there apparently played video games. And we started their Discord. They Makes had, sense. Yeah, they had a Discord server and they set it up. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and we chatted. I'm still in that group, but it is like it's like one post a week. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I feel like bad. I kind of want to leave it, but I'm like all those like it's like my my origin story of community. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I started an Instagram, not for the community, just to promote my YouTube videos. Right. And then I found, especially once YouTube shut down direct messaging, that Instagram is the place where I, where you can talk with people and yes. you actually get to know people and you have chats. And obviously then from that, we've got like, we're part of a discord server that has like a weekly zoom call, but that wouldn't have happened without Instagram. Yeah, for sure. That's, I mean, again, that's how I, you know, interact with everybody. I think it's pretty much the only thing I use. I use, I watch videos on YouTube, but again, I don't really, you know, again, it's not a place to really build a community. Um, I guess you can, you, there's some, there's some ways you can, you know, I think if, you know, if there's, you know, your friends, if you comment on their videos, you know, right. there's people who, if they don't get millions of comments, you know, they'll, they recognize people who are, you know, are always commenting and, and, you know, participating that way. And there's some community feature on, well, there's, yeah, I guess it has a community tab where the creator can create a post and then people can reply to it. Yeah. But it's a it's, different thing because there's no private means of communication. True. And that's, yes. That's where you develop friendships. Yeah, that's where so. you take them to another level, right? Once you start talking totally. in DMs, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, it can go badly, and there's podcasts about that. But it can often, when you start chatting in DMs, you, you start developing more of a friendship. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's and then obviously that can, if you're lucky, you can lead to some in-person events and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Yeah, well, and we could talk about like in-person events and and how that was. That like opened up a whole different like thing. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I I, I want to say that like the first in person maker event that I went to uh, was uh, Maker's Rendezvous put on by the Bear Mountain Boat Company. Okay, and when I was there, that's where I met Jimmy for the first time, and I met Pat Lap. Um, and you know, I was chatting with Pat at the time, and uh, obviously at the time he had a huge channel like compared to me and i just remember going like how could you possibly ever get thirty thousand subscribers that's so yeah. many <laughs> right right and now you know i was so new i didn't understand anything like the numbers are all meaningless they don't mean anything but uh anyways uh -huh. i met i met i was chatting with him and he's like oh are you coming to this and i was just I, I, the day it was happening was the day after i was coming back from a work trip and so i was like i'd been away from my family and mm -hmm. Wasn't sure if I should get, you know, come home from a work trip and then immediately drive off to this this maker thing. But then I did, and it was great fun. And and I, you know, like I said, got to meet uh, Pat and and the Bear Mountain people, and and it was a lot of fun. So that was like my first one, and and unfortunately they 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 do they used to do it biannually, mm -hmm. and uh, obviously COVID kind of screwed that all. That's up. unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Changed a but, lot of things. Yeah. And then after that, I've been to the high caliber cramp at Austin's place. And, and that was like a, a very interesting place because it was like a lot smaller and everyone kind of knew each other. So we'd all met on the zoom. Like you only got the invite to that place. If you were part of the group that meets right. regularly. Right. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I've been to maker camp, which is like a whole different thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Right, they're and all yet, so, so different, right? And and so you went, you just it's your first time you went last this time yeah. in twenty twenty two, yeah. Yeah, so it was, and that's interesting because you know the first maker camp was maybe like three hundred people, three hundred four hundred people, right? Um, so you could big, almost talk to everybody um, over the weekend. Big, and then, biggest threat not going to that one. Yeah, yeah, because it was fun. Because um, yeah, again, you could you could actually meet like so many people and just you. 
have a lot of conversations, whereas now it's getting a little bigger. Um, it does feel like a little overwhelming because there's you want to talk to everybody and it's just certainly not it's not possible in that short mm-hmm. time. But uh, well, I remember I wanted to chat with you, but like I came over to your little uh, little tent you were working at. And you were busy, like, teaching people how to mm-hmm. make stamps. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, good. And then someone else <laughs> asked you a question. question. And, <laughs> like, a, you know, a question related to the thing you were actually teaching. And I went, well, I guess mm-hmm. I'll see you later. And then yep. I, I was busy with doing the leather. Right, but you were the doing thing. the same thing. You were working with Ethan. So I don't think I I maybe looked in your tent, but I don't know if I, you know, stopped to talk to you guys. And I think we did, you know, we had probably chatted around the campfire a couple times. Oh, yeah. I will say, no. so I know myself and I know I'm not, until I've had a couple of drinks, not good at going up to people and just randomly chatting um, if I know them, like if I know who they are. I'm better after a couple right. of drinks, I'll come up, go to anyone, uh, mm-hmm. lowered in, yeah. inhibitions and all that. But I know if I'm standing in line, I might have a chance to talk with people. But what I liked about kind of working uh, with Ethan on there is that, you know, people came like to us and we had better conversations and they got to know us a little better. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you felt the same way because people came to you, spent some time with you. Yeah. You actually got a chance to talk to them as opposed to the fleeting moments you get standing in line. Yeah, definitely. It's a, and that's interesting that you made that part of your first uh, experience at camp was to participate in the demonstrations and, you know, helping people learn stuff. How, how did that happen? And what gave you the, you know, incentive to try that well so ethan said you know i'd mentioned that he was doing this and i said well you know it, this is your first time doing it in real life and it's going to be a lot of people and a lot of time do you need help right do you want to help her um yeah and and i offered my thing and and then uh i guess he talked it over with austin and and got got the okay for it and Basically, what I did is I got uh, a, like a ticket in for free sure. for doing it, right? And I mm-hmm. uh, that was the way I was able to convince myself that I could afford to go. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I re- like looking back at it, and I go, "No, I obviously could have afforded to go." Like that was the smallest amount of the whole trip. Really, it was like right the, gas was probably more. <laughs> yeah, the tickets actually aren't that expensive. They're actually really reasonably priced for how much uh, time you spend there. I uh, yeah, you know, because I was camping. Like, if you're not, if you're camping, it's pretty reasonably priced. I, if it's in a yeah. hotel, I, I'm sure it's reasonable it's, for a hotel. It's, it's also, way more money. It's very reasonably priced, <laughs> right? For a room uh, but, on yeah on site. Yeah, and they're all sold out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. They sold out in like three days. So yeah. Um, <laughs> It looks like, yeah, this year will definitely be uh, super exciting again. Um, yeah. Are you going again? You're going to do yeah. the stamp making again? Yep. Yeah, I already talked to Austin, so we're going to uh, do printmaking again. And uh, hopefully I can find a volunteer to help out, because I think that would be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's block printing, whatever. It's um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, But so what was your experience like, Uh, you know, being like an assistant teacher with Ethan? Have you done anything like that before? Uh, So I've... I don't think I don't know if I've ever really done anything where I was like the assistant teacher, or even oh, the have teacher. You, have you been the? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like I'm trying to think back. Like I always kind of gravitate to teaching people. Uh, like I was always quick at doing math and and homework and stuff like that. So I'd always be just like sitting there, mm-hmm. done all the 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 activities that were assigned for a given time period. And like if I saw someone struggling, I would try and help them through it and like try and teach them how i understood it which worked for some people and didn't work for other people right whatever you know it is what it is right that's why everyone learns a little differently um but i've done like in terms of like teaching obviously i've done a lot of the instructables which are teaching uh Mm -hmm. in i'm trying to think back i i'm sure i've done something but i can't think of anything in particular where i was like leading a class uh, other than that, at at work I do a lot of training, um, and sure. I've developed a lot of training. I guess if you 
I guess that if you want to look at it that way, I've developed a lot of training at work and, and done stuff like that, but I've never done mm-hmm. anything maker related in real life until then. Um, sure. I mean, it was, go ahead. I was going to say you've spent time, you know, you create videos and you explain, you know, you do take time to explain what you're doing. You're trying to communicate that information. And again, like with the instructables, you're, that's exactly, you're trying to put the steps in an order that makes sense and try to, you know, get the information across. So, right. And if, if practice, you've, <laughs> if you've put, any time into reading people's instructions on anything, you'll see there is an art to it. It's actually, I think, more problem solving writing the instructions on how to do something than how to do something. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and uh, so in engineering, the only class I got uh, an A in the entire time I was there was uh, there was it was called English for Engineers, but it was sure. literally instruction writing. Like mm-hmm. that's what it was called English for Engineers, but all you were trying to do was teaching them how to write instructions. And I got an A in that class because writing instructions to me makes sense. There's a there's a flow to how you did something. You got to go take people from A to Z. And mm-hmm. for some reason, and maybe these people are were much more smarter than me because they, they, they were <laughs> able to do the engineering side so much better. But they right. were, uh, they would just Communication jump. was, yeah. Yeah, they would just jump That's steps thing. because I think they thought, a lot of people think, about things in in the a lot of people seem to have this like you go a and then z and you should have known everything in between because how (laughs) else would you get here right Right. but when you're writing instructions you got to pretend everyone knows nothing that's the the base level you have to do for writing instructions if you want someone to follow it along sure and yeah, so you probably would be good at computer programming. <laughs> well, I, w- I was actually, I wasn't bad at it. I just found right. it. I didn't oh, want right. to sit at a desk. The educational process was the problem, yeah. Right. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't like sitting at the desk, and I didn't like, I don't know, it just felt like I was like, I don't know, I wanted to get out. And, I, when I wanted to become an engineer, I wanted to become like a person working on a race team, designing the next, you know, Le Mans car. Sure. So you're doing like aerodynamics or designing the engine or right, and so I don't know or something. Yeah. In uh, in Ontario, we used to have a grade thirteen, and they eventually got rid of it. And they got rid of it the year I graduated. So the year I graduated, grade thirteen graduated and grade twelve graduated. They called it a double cohort, and basically twice as many people were going to university that year. And so all the entrants to get it, they didn't have twice as many spots, spots at university. So they just raised the, the grades to get in. So I applied for mechanical engineering. And they said, your grades aren't good enough for mechanical engineering this year, but we'll offer you computer systems. And if you do good, you can switch. Right? Because we see you're into programming and blah, blah, blah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we see, we've looked at your transcript. This is what we're offering you. Yeah. And I wasn't good enough to switch. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> so that's what happened. So I got stuck in this thing I didn't really want to be in because like I I could see like I I think computer programming can be a very useful thing. It's getting less useful with AI to the way I would use it as a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I could see where that could be a very useful thing to have in your pocket doing anything else. Sure. But it wasn't what I wanted to be my focus. Right. And and the way that they were teaching, they were teaching you like so low level that it would never apply, right? There's ways to teach programming, you know, there's programming languages that an engineer would use to solve problems that you'd see like immediate progress. You'd understand the, you know, like the applications and stuff. And you could, they can start there. And then right. if you want to be, uh, you know, really understand like how the chips inside the computer work, then you would go in one direction. But if you wanted to solve problems in engineering or something, you'd go a different direction. In two years, I had four different programming languages that I had to learn. Yeah. So that was the other problem. Like I talk about assembly because assembly is ridiculous. It's the worst. Yeah, (laughs) It's the worst. It's for people who don't know, assembly language is the thing that, that computers are the very base level of computing. Yeah, it's the instructions uh, to the chips, yeah. Right. And it is, most people don't even understand there's a language down there. They think of computer programming and they think someone's like, 
you know, making the thing say hello world, mm-hmm. which I've, I've done in now five different languages. Sure. Gets a lot less exciting than <laughs> after the first time. Yep. Sure. All right. Um, going back. So what do you, did you learn anything uh, doing the class with Ethan and trying to you know, help people through the projects? Right. Definitely. Um, it was really interesting to see like how Ethan teaches people and how I could see there were different people not getting how he was putting stuff down, which is, mm-hmm. you know, everyone gets things differently. And I actually yeah. think I learned almost as much just being beside Patty uh, in her class and how she was teaching people and kind okay. of like she, she, she brought along written instructions for a thing. Cause she said, not everyone gets the oral and prefers yes. the written. Mm-hmm. I went, yeah. I prefer the written for sure. I like to have them both. Right. Because I like to have the, I like to have the oral and I'll go along with the written. And that way, if you've, if, if you say something I didn't understand, I know I've got it there to go back to. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to like interrupt you or, or I don't have to Ask like a question, be yeah. thinking about it while you're trying to explain something else. My mind doesn't get stuck thinking about a step. Um, sure. So I definitely thought if we're going to do it again, or, you know, if I, I'd probably, anyways. If if I were ever to do something like that again, I would definitely be bringing a set of written instructions to go with it. Um, Yeah. The other thing is it was really nice to kind of have like breakout groups, kind of like broke out to other picnic tables so that uh, you could like get the people who are falling behind, Mm -hmm. give them a little extra motivation or something to get them them going. Uh, I think in the weekend, though, only... I think like three people completely finished their wallet. Okay. Wow. But it was, there was only like three and those people all took it home and did it. Okay. Yeah. So is he saying that the project was a little tricky for everybody to. It, it was tricky to do in an hour. The people, yeah. the biggest problem was you, you, your class kind of moves at the slowest pace. Right. So. But it didn't because we would just move people along. We'd just say, okay, mm-hmm. well, you, we're going to stop you there and we'll move to the next one. But it yeah. kind of moves at this, this kind of this pace that isn't the fastest. The fastest people would yeah. have finished a wallet no problem because there mm-hmm. was a lot of times you'd see a few like man made, right. handmade is on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. He makes triangles. Uh, yes. And he'd call them triangles. But I'm sorry if he listens to this. And I, I know they have a name, but they're not triangles. But they're triangle shaped musical instruments uh, yeah. uh, to things or to fars or something. Anyways, uh, yeah. two firsts or I don't know. It's a Tifa, uh, I think is what's called. I, talked to, I talked to Brandy a couple weeks ago. So yeah, right. And <laughs> she talked, talked to about there was the hate, hate tines, uh or whatever. Anyways, that's yes, right. that's exactly. <laughs> so, um, and he was there and, and he was really quick about it. And I just remember him like, kind of like being done the steps before everyone else, but obviously Everyone's at a different skill level, and mm-hmm. but he was, you know, graciously just sitting there waiting for the next kind of step. It's yeah. hard because you don't want to give him the next step because everyone wants to listen. Yeah, and that was the exactly. Other thing. And you're like, wait, no, you're not there yet. Right, you're, <laughs> you you're not. Step. You're definitely not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing I learned is like you, if you want to do something like that, and, and this is kind of how Ethan ended up talking about the projects is, is I'm telling you all the different steps. So that you understand how they go into a project, you don't have to finish the project. Right. You just have to do a little bit of each step. And mm-hmm. then from there, you'll understand how this, you could make anything you want like this. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no way to know, right? I didn't know what was going to happen with <laughs> uh, my thing. And I didn't even have any instructions or a class or any kind of structure, <laughs> um, which worked out well because it's, really the material is you know so much simpler and uh, you can just give people a sharp object and say you know uh, <laughs> carve this don't stab your hand um and you'll get a result so yeah i got really lucky by picking a you know a project or a thing that you know translated really well to that format well and this is where i think like a leather tooling uh class would be kind of cool yeah you can give someone a keychain or something and then whatever they make is going to be you know, whatever, you know, that's the project, <laughs> you know, right. it's a little more freeform and it either gives them more uh, freedom to make it how complex or 
you know, whatever they want that fits in with their skill level and their commitment of time. Right. Well, that's like with leather tooling, you can do like the stamping or you can get that mm-hmm. like knife thing right. that I see. Swivel knife. Yeah. The swivel knife. And you can do some really cool stuff and you can combine the two and do some even cooler stuff, but you can just give it to people and say, hit, hit some leather, see how it looks. Right. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like, here's a defined project. But I think yeah. they're like, I know there was other projects along with it, but I, mm-hmm. I think that would be an interesting thing to have along with it is kind of just have those tools available to, to do. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes sense because you could, I mean, if someone wanted to sit there for two hours and make a wallet, maybe that's how long it takes. And then, you know, they got the tooling uh, tools are there also. They could, you know, if they want to come back, you know, later and, and decorate their wallet or whatever they can, you know. Right and keep going you someone might spend the whole weekend doing that you know or they might you know want be like um i've had enough of this i'm gonna go blacksmithing <laughs> yeah well you know what i'm looking forward to is sure. uh camp arrowhead is going to be there and they're gonna be doing uh arrowheads right they're flint napping right yeah and that yes. is one of the things that to me i'm looking forward to because i don't have the tools necessary the time or the technique or the anything, mm-hmm. right? Whereas like leatherworking, I went on Amazon and bought a bunch of stuff. Got it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. like flint damping is like such a specialized little tiny skill that I really yeah. feel like I'm going to, I don't want to spend a lot of money on that. And I don't even know where to start. And there right. isn't enough of a universe um, out there. To, of, yeah. To- how many different projects are there? Right. You're probably, you know, like if you learn uh, leatherwork, there's, you know, you can, get into making bags you could make shoes you could just make all a million different wallets there's right you know but but yeah with the flint it's definitely a limited you spend a lot of time getting good at it right and right you know perfecting the technique which i think is really cool but i just want to make an arrowhead because my son's name well one of my sons is fletcher the other one Mm -hmm. is archer Um, right (laughs) so they're i'm into I really want to be into archery. It's basically, I'm not, but I really want to be. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, have you, d- you tried archery? I mean, have you, you yeah. know, done it in, you know, a camp or wherever? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so you- when I went to camp as a kid, I spent the entire, every free activity time mm-hmm. was spent at the archery field. Yeah. We did archery. that at, that was like a gym class in high school. We had archery and that was a lot of fun. And I, I would have liked to, you know, done more of that. And, you know, never got around to it, you know, after this many years. But well, and this is where I always go like, oh, I want to like, I want to move to the country. So I have room to set up an archery target. And I mm-hmm. know just like everything else, I'll do it like, yeah, like, I'll sell my house, go out to move to the country just so I can shoot some arrows, get bored of it in three months because it's. Yeah. Like, well, I think we here's what you got to do, right? I don't know if you how big is your backyard? You can probably set up a. Yeah, it's not big enough. The, the target. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, like, it's I like big enough, enough room for it. But, there's yeah. enough room for it as long mm-hmm. as the neighbor doesn't walk behind it, and I have an errant arrow. Don't you have a fence? <laughs> no, I have a giant hedge. Okay, well, that's, oh, that's think... perfect for arrows to go through. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that that's a little tricky. Yeah, I'm far enough away that I can definitely have set something up. Because like I say, you could. The other thing you can do is uh, you just gotta get your kids into it, and then you take them to. We have an archery place down the road you know that they have an indoor thing and you can just go and take lessons and very very possible that that's going to happen with their names yeah Never right. know. yeah it might be i think that's you <laughs> kind of yeah. planned for that um but there you go you just got to get them you know get them interested in it well so one of the things i want to do is eventually make a bow and arrow with them uh that's cool yeah because like the older one just started uh scouts mm-hmm. and i'm now uh, volunteered to be a scout leader, so I've. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's cool. gonna be doing that. That's gonna be a lot of fun. But definitely on, they're a little young. Five's a little young. Uh, not for, maybe for my kid. I think I would trust him. Yeah, but I don't trust every kid with a bow and arrow <laughs> at five. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think. I don't know if the like here in the cups that would be Cub Scouts or whatever. I don't yeah. know if they did that. Um, but so yeah, I think there they, is an I, archery range mm-hmm. at one of the scout camps. Sure. Near our near my place, and you have to be older. You have to be eight. Okay, yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, you gotta be as tall as the bow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Um, one thing: have you 
Uh, do you follow the art of craftsmanship? I've seen a couple of his videos. Yeah, so he he he's made a bunch of bows on video, yeah. and um, they were talking about possibly doing something with that at Maker Camp. So I don't know if they finalized anything, but they'll probably be there. So you definitely talk to him about it if you if you come down. Yeah, I want to come down. I haven't bought my ticket yet. I'm definitely yeah. just going to come down this time. That's for sure. That's the and this time I'm definitely going to buy the meal pass. It's definitely like the money well yeah. spent. Yeah, sure, it's like. Right, yeah, you were trying to cook at your camp. I mean, you have a camper, so that's a yeah. little bit easier, but yeah. It's just, you know, it's the food is decent, and it's, you know, certainly affordable, and just it's just convenient. And plus, you get to hang out um, with was, everybody in the dining hall, though it's, they've reached the capacity of the dining hall, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We'll have to see where that goes. I'm going to bring my, like, little uh, tabletop pizza oven. Nice. And, and try to make pizzas <laughs> like in, my, I, in the printing tent <laughs> making pizzas. I think it would be fun to have uh, like a little outdoor barbecue with like if you had a bunch of people camping together, you all knew mm-hmm. you could do that. Uh, but like going back there by myself to eat mm-hmm. by myself yeah. and cook myself some shitty little dinner. Because yeah. I'm by myself, I'm not going to cook up something nice. I'm going to make like I made myself a hot dog like one right. night. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, you could just brought that to the thing and just put it on a stick. <laughs> Yeah, bring it to the <laughs> at least to the maker. People... The maker burned. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I hope to come back. Oh, it was cool. a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be great. Um, all right. Well, I think uh, that's probably do it. I don't want to keep you all night. Um, where can people see what your uh, your social media empire? All right. So the best place to find me, if you're into podcasts, the best place to find me is searching for the Clamp Podcast. Uh, it's available in all the places, including YouTube. We do a video podcast every week. So if you want to look at us for some reason, you could do that or that. And I do that with my, uh, buddies, Adam and Jesse, uh, Jesse Ratfink. And, uh, if you want to find just me, you can go, uh, the Grant Alexander everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I, don't, I haven't been posting on TikTok, but, uh, I have it there in case they ever change their, their, what they're doing currently with a lot of different stuff. Sure. <laughs> All right. And yeah. I want to take a minute to uh, thank uh, the patrons who help support the show and, you know, help pay for Zencaster because <laughs> now it's a thing. Uh, you can. Um, and my top tier patrons are Matt from Artigiano Serio and Ed Johns. Uh, if you are interested in supporting the show, you can get access to the after show. Um, go to patreon.com slash making <laughs> making problems solve. Uh, you can uh, uh, review the show uh, if that's uh, you're interested, and, and you can always share it with a friend. Uh, you can check out um, updates on the show on Instagram at Making Problems to Solve, and you can see what I'm working on at Dave Bauer Art. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>